Well, were the last three weeks just fantastic? Don't we just have the most amazing Gregs at this church? Um, Greg Steiniger, I thought, was just, just so perfectly well-placed to speak on what it means to be a good employee and a good employer, a good boss and a good master in one sense, uh, and a good worker. And um, I think he spoke from the heart, he opened those scriptures so well. So thank you to Greg Steiniger. And then Greg Beach. I mean, it's amazing to have a general of the faith like Greg in our church. Um, if you're commenting, let's just all encourage Greg right now and shout out to him. Um, you know, Greg, Greg led a lot of the charismatic renewal here in Sydney in the 90s and early 2000s at Randwick Baptist Church. And so to have him at Manly Life as an elder and preaching on spiritual warfare and all that he does around the world with Homes of Hope today, um, what a blessing. All right, so a little change to plans. This was meant to be the final week in the book of Ephesians. I was going to talk on these last verses in Ephesians about prayer and declaring the gospel. And then that was going to lead us as a church into a season on outreach and evangelism. We had it all lined up. Um, I was going to preach on it this Sunday. And then Uncle Nath, the, the amazing Christian comedian, was going to speak next week. And then we were going to launch Alpha. And that's not happening anymore. So in our grand scheming, it was all going to flow so wonderfully effectively. But anyhow, like a lot of things, our plans are evolving. Uncle Nath will come uh, later in the year. And guess what? Instead of one more week in Ephesians, we're going to do three more weeks. Hey, celebrate. Come on, let's do this. Three more weeks in Ephesians. Why would you not? Why not? Because Paul closes the letter to the Ephesians with uh, speaking about prayer, speaking about proclaiming the gospel, and then the very last few verses is him speaking about encouragement. Who doesn't need encouragement at the moment? We don't want to skip over that. Not at a time when we need to be encouraged. I wonder, have you ever had someone cheer you on or encourage you and not felt uplifted and been grateful for that? You know, that's why we're encouraging you to comment and to reach out to people and to text because we need encouragement. I love it in Mark 3 where Jesus renamed some of his disciples the sons of thunder. Was that because they were a bit gassy? And they, <laughs> I don't know. I reckon that's comedy. I reckon that might be comedy from Jesus. Anyhow, I would love on my tombstone to be called a son of encouragement. A son of encouragement. If I could be renamed and embody that, that would be good. Anyhow, I digress. Let's have a read of today's passage. Ephesians 6, 18 to 20. Uh, a reminder, Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians from jail in Rome. And he had helped plant this church in Ephesus over two years of ministry. He loves them. You know, he lived with them. He, he did ministry with them. He saw the kingdom of God take ground in that city. And a remarkable community around Jesus and his kingdom began to form of Jews and Gentiles. 
And they came from all kinds of different spiritual backgrounds, including temple worship, uh, which was worship of the fertility goddess Artemis. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 19. There's your homework. Go do your homework. So Paul longs for them to stand firm in the faith and to be strong in the Lord. That's what he longs for them. He longs that none of them might fall away. That all of them would get to either the day of redemption when Christ returns or they would pass into eternity and that they would still be found standing firm in the faith. And I guess, you know, verses um, Ephesians 6, verses 10 to, to, what is it, 6, 16, 17, it speaks to the fact that they, he knows they're going to come against all kinds of opposition, both from temptation, old ways of life, spiritual forces of evil that are at work in the world. So open your Bibles with me. Let's, let's you know, no one's got anywhere to be. <laughs> Captive audience, right, Mark? So let's just do the whole, I was only going to read two verses. Let's read the entire Armour of God passage. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. This is, this is what a Bible looks like, teenagers. Uh, paper. Actual words on paper. You should get one. All right. Paul says from jail to the Ephesians, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the buckle of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Amen. Amen. So this morning I want to focus particularly on Ephesians 6, 17, 18. And probably specifically a few words of verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So really this passage is a continuation of what Greg has been preaching on the last two weeks. It speaks to the reality of spiritual warfare, the need to be alert to what may destroy faith within us. And as Greg helpfully pointed out, sometimes we hear stories of spiritual warfare in developing countries and we think that's something that happens over there, but not something that's so maybe pertinent or relevant to my life here. Um, like Greg, you know, I've got stories of times in, in Kenya where I saw this in a much more manifested, real, engaged way. 
Um, as a 21-year-old, when I lived in, in Africa for a year, I was at Nairobi Pentecostal Church. And I remember Rosemary Mbogo from African Enterprise was preaching. And she preached on persistent prayer and overcoming and being like the widow who just keeps knocking on the door of the judge for justice. And anyhow, at the end of the sermon, there was prayer ministry. And this young lady, this young Kenyan lady came down to the front and she began manifesting spiritual evil. Um, her eyes rolled back, her limbs went in different directions, her voice changed to like a male voice, and little old 21-year-old Tim, who'd been safely tucked up in conservative Anglican churches, didn't quite know what to do with himself. <laughs> Anyhow, she was prayed over, and the name, and the powerful name of Jesus, and eventually she was delivered. She really was set free from these spiritual evil, these demons that had got control of the life. And I found out later the backstory to this particular young girl was she'd moved to Nairobi to the city. She'd come from a rural area, couldn't afford anything in the city, so she moved in with an aunt. Her aunt was into traditional African spirituality and witchcraft, had cursed her. And I think what had happened was she came to the church, encountered the word of God and light, and the darkness within her just manifested. But Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger. Uh, you know, even last week when we were in Byron Bay with Callum, you sense in a place like Byron the spiritual warfare that goes on. You know, in Byron, everywhere you go, there are Eastern spiritualities and crystals and tarots and so on. And, you know, it's kind of like promoted, like, welcome to... Nirvana when you get to Byron. It's meant to be heaven on earth. And part of that is all this kind of Eastern mysticism and, and crystals and tarots. And, and of course, the world thinks this stuff is harmless. Uh-uh. It isn't. We met a girl at Callum's baptism who'd been saved out of the New Age. And, you know, after the baptism, we had coffee with her and some of Cal's friends. And she shared her story. She spoke about when she was in the New Age, just how oppressive it was. You know, it, it, it looks, you know, I don't know, what does it look? Kind of cool or um, like you've discovered some kind of, I don't know, it's almost like Gnostic, isn't it? Like secret, secret spiritual. Anyhow, she talked about us, how, how coming to Jesus had changed her life. Basically, in the midst of, because of the, the New Age stuff, because of the nightmares and the darkness, um, she had a very distant, lapsed Catholic faith from her background. And in the middle of the night, she called out on the name of Jesus. And she was delivered and set free. And there she was, a couple of years on, still standing firm in the faith. She hasn't looked back, Right? So again, you may think, yep, Africa, yep, in places like Byron, but what about in my world? And I guess I would echo Greg's thoughts from the last two weeks, that we are no less in a spiritual battle that would stop us from standing firm. So in our lives, what is it that makes relationships deteriorate and fall apart? Right? What is it that causes divisions, gossip, and enmity within communities, even church communities? 
You know, what is it that makes temptation so hard to resist? You know, so often we know the stuff that we don't want to do. We know that it harms our life, it harms those around us, and yet we find ourselves in patterns of bad behavior or addictions. What is it that makes addiction so hard to break? Well, it says in the scripture, do not let the devil get a foothold. Don't let the devil get a foothold. The idea being that those of us who belong to Jesus, who have received all the blessings that Ephesians talks about, redemption, adoption into God's family, forgiveness, grace, he says, do not let the enemy get an inch of your life that may cause you to stumble. Right? Don't give him an inch. Why would you, having come so far in, in being set free and redeemed and forgiven, why would you allow the enemy and the spiritual forces that work in this world, why would you allow it to get even an inch in your life? You know, maybe being exposed to witchcraft or the new age. It may be opening doors to pornography or substances or gambling. You know, and then you find yourself not able to stand firm in the faith. The question is, who's behind all of this? You know, is it just personalities? Is it just, you know, family of origin? Is it just, or are there spiritual forces that would want to bind your life and stop you from standing firm in the faith? Well, the scriptures would tell us that it's the devil, spiritual forces at work in the world trying to undo the good work God has begun in you. Now think about pornography. I don't mean to pick on it. The Lord knows there's a multitude of things that come against us. But statistically, pornography is a massive problem in society and also within the church. Particularly, but not exclusively to men. And I don't mean to be condemning, but I guess there's no point having a pulpit and talking about spiritual forces at work if we don't talk about the real stuff, I just don't see how looking at pornography is any different to adultery. How, how is it different to cheating on your spouse? I mean, get real. I mean, do you think you are in a spiritual battle? What are the things in life that are trying to tear you apart? Stop you from following Christ? Stop you from loving your husband or your wife and being faithful to them? You don't think that the devil hasn't used pornography to distort our minds and sow seeds of discord between you and your partner. You know, I know of a marriage here uh, a few years back of some people who were at Manly Life that busted up for that exact reason. Uh, and, and let me say, if it's an issue for you, don't feel condemned, but also don't hide in the darkness. Engage the battle. Engage the battle. What are the things that are trying to stop you from standing firm? Get help. Fight the good fight. Anyhow, Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus. He says, be strong in the Lord. He says, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Put on the armor of God. Right? Because as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I mean, far out. <laughs> that just got real. Yeah, he's looking to devour people. As Paul said last week, no, don't, don't, don't underplay it, don't overplay it, just engage with what it says. 
It's not a devil behind every bush, but there's certainly, there are forces of evil at the work that would want you not to be still standing firm in a year, in 10 years, in 30 years. You know, as a pastor, I, get see, I, get, I see people get devoured all too often. That's so sad. People get taken out because as the verse in 1 Peter 5 starts, they didn't pay attention to when it says, be alert and of sober mind. Be alert to what's going on. Don't kid yourself that you're not in a battle. So, we should get to this, this Ephesians passage thing, right? To the question, how do we stand firm against the spiritual forces of evil and all of the things that would make Christians fall away? Paul says, God's for you. God has done something about it. God is going to empower you. God is going to equip you. And so Paul says, put on the armor of God. And Paul has said there are some defensive strategies, and this week we come to the offensive strategies. It's like basketball. You've got to be good at defense and offense. You know, Paul, uh, Paul. It's like listening to Paul. Greg, last week, <laughs> spoke about the defensive strategies. Verse 14 of Ephesians 6. Belt of truth around your waist. Right? Elsewhere it says the devil is a liar. But we protect ourselves by living in the truth. Be transparent. Know the word of God. Talks about the breastplate of righteousness. This is both your position before God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. You are righteous before God because of what Christ has done. But it is also our increasing holiness that comes from following the Lord. That's a defensive piece of armor. It says have feet fitted with the gospel of peace. We are protected from attacks by being peacemakers and agents of forgiveness and mercy. Shield of faith, right? Take your stand with the gift of faith in a cynical and self-serving world. Uh, finally, on the defensive arm, the helmet of salvation. Guard your minds. Right? And that's back to the, what you look at on the internet and all kinds of other things. Put on the helmet of salvation. Don't let your eyes look at anything that's not your husband or your wife. Right? Guard your mind. It's worth guarding, right? Is it not worth guarding? Is it not worth taking this stuff seriously? If you want to stand firm and still be standing firm in the Lord in the years to come? Anyhow, Paul now says, we, like any good soldier, do not just try and stand firm by defending off attacks, but we get on the front foot and attack. We take ground for the kingdom. So verse 17 mentions the sword of the spirit. We are given something to attack with. And that says is the word of God. So he links the word and the spirit together. We have God's present at work, presence at work within us to push back against what would make us stumble. And the spirit operates through our prayer and proclamation. That seems to be what Paul is suggesting here. The way to get onto the front foot is to declare the truth, declare the word of God over situations, and to pray in the Spirit at all times. We speak out our prayers in the Spirit, and like Paul requests, we make known the mysteries of God by declaring the word fearlessly. So, looking at this passage, looking at prayer, and then next week we'll do the proclamation bit. Verse 18, he says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 
So when it comes to engaging the battle, Paul suggests to the Ephesians that they should pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Now clearly in the Scriptures, there are two types of prayer. That which we do with our mind, and that which we do in the Spirit. And that's most commonly known often as praying in tongues. So prayer with our mind is amazing. You know, we, we, we are commanded by our Saviour to pray things like the Lord's Prayer. So on a daily basis, let me encourage you, pray the Lord's Prayer. Do that with your mind. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. Right? We, we, we pray with our mind. A conscience, articulated prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. You know, elsewhere we are encouraged to bring to God all kinds of prayers and petitions. So if we have worries or requests, praying with our mind, we cognitively bring these things to our Heavenly Father. Right? So we pray with our minds. But then there are times to pray, it says, in the Spirit. And this is where the Spirit of God, alive in us, helps us to pray in a way that our minds do not maybe understand. And yet, what the Scriptures say to us, it is fruitful in spiritual warfare and the building up of the faith of our individual's faith and our corporate lives as a church community. God, if you like, helps us to pray in our weakness, to take on the things that are seemingly unable to overcome. And it's a wonderful gift. It's a wonderful piece of armour that the Lord gives us in the battle that we find ourselves in. Now, should we talk about tongues and prayer? Should we talk about tongues and prayer? I don't think it's something I've spoken about much here at Manly Life, even though it's a part of many of our spiritual lives. And I should just note here, um, the New Testament scholar Gordon Fee has helped me a lot. Um, the old Regent College professor, author of God's Empowering Presence, the best commentary on the New Testament that has ever, in my mind, been written. He states, there is every good reason to think that Paul intends this phrase, praying in the Spirit, to refer to that form of prayer in which the Spirit assumes a special role in the praying, especially, though probably not exclusively, praying in tongues. So, there is praying with our minds, and then there is praying in or with the Spirit. So, a couple of things on praying in the Spirit. First thing, not everyone speaks in tongues. Now, that might seem a weird place to start, but I think it's helpful to remind us that there aren't different classes of Christians. I mean, I have met Christians who pray in tongues who are an absolute nightmare. <laughs> right? It's not like it makes you better than other people because you pray in tongues. Oh my gosh, some of them are. Yeah, okay. And of course, this is not me saying this. The Apostle Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, in which he makes it clear that not all are going to have this gift from God. So while we are told to desire spiritual gifts available, not all have all gifts. Right? We don't all pray. We don't all prophesy. We don't all speak in tongues. We're not all evangelists. We're not, but, but the body has these gifts operating within it. Now, in the same time, um, yeah, so I should say, God gives different gifts to different people, and many mature, mighty men and women of the faith don't speak in tongues or pray in this particular way. 
Now, why is this so? Why do some pray in the Spirit and others stick to mainly praying mightily with their minds? And I have a profound and spiritual answer to this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a disposition thing or a personality thing or a cerebral versus emotional feeling thing. I don't know. But don't let that also be an excuse. Because if you desire to pray in the Spirit, pursue it. And it's amazing how God, sometimes it takes months, years, whatever, but God will give you this gift if you really desire it. But also don't be worried if nothing happens initially. Secondly, it is given to help us in our weakness. Uh, and I think this is an insight into why it helps us stand firm in the battle. Why do you need a bit of armour or a gift if you're doing great? Right? If there's no battle to be engaged in, why would you need the gift of praying in the Spirit? Surely it's because in our weakness, God wants to help us. I get this particularly from Romans 8, the reference to praying in the Spirit. Let me read it, Romans 8, 26 to 27. Paul says, this is the big verse on this, okay? Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Is this good? <laughs> you see, so often, right, in the spiritual battle that we are in, it is in our weakness that we begin to pray in the Spirit as God, in one sense, kicks in to help us out. Does that make sense? What it says is that the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So we don't know how to pray. We feel weak in a situation. And God, in one sense, His Spirit alive within us, kicks in and helps us to pray in groanless words that don't really make any sense. And yet it is fruitful in helping us in the spiritual battle that we are in. <laughs> First time I ever prayed in tongues was in South Africa. Uh, again, I was 21, I'd grown up quite conservative, and so I'd kind of been told that these gifts don't operate in the church today. And um, before I left Africa, I'd got a bit of a taste for some of these things. But I remember being at this little township church. We should pray for South Africa as well. There's a lot going on there. And um, talk about spiritual evil and forces at work. Anyhow, um, I was at this little township church and this wonderful African evangelist preached and he talked about how God had healed him from this um, very oppressive skin condition and how he'd been prayed this one time and literally his skin in front of everyone's eyes had been healed and transformed. He got to the end of his message and he said, um, we've got an, a, a young Australian who's come all the way who'd love to be in the ministry team this morning and pray for you if you have any challenges or health conditions or you're in any battles. So I go down the front. I've never really done any prayer ministry. And these desperate young black South Africans begin to come forward and ask for prayer. <laughs> and, and what do you do? Well, you pray a few prayers and then you realize that you don't 
know how to pray in a situation and and you feel pathetic and you, you, you're desperate for God to do something and to move and you're praying over these people and, and then all of a sudden I found myself praying in tongues. Praying in a spiritual language that was not my own, that I did not recognize. Um, and then, you know, I moved to the, to the UK, went, did the Alpha course, Holy Spirit weekend. You know, it was probably six months later, I prayed in tongues for the second time. As I realized the love of God, I was overwhelmed with the love of God. And again, started praying in tongues. And, and, and the thing that I have seen is that for me, it is often in my weakest moments that the, 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 the gift of praying in the Spirit is the most powerful. I remember here, it was, it was here at, at um, Manly Life, in this church, when we weren't the kind of responsible for it, but we were having a service here. And I remember I was about to get up to lead the service. And you remember Jesse and M. Mitchell? They moved to Melbourne now, and a message came through that they had their baby, and the baby was struggling to breathe, it looked like the baby wasn't going to make it. <laughs> I was just a mess. I remember saying to me, I saw, I was, we were doing the service based on that way. And I, I got the message, I remember looking at Victoria, and she just saw me just bawling my eyes out. And I was like, you need, to, you need to lead the service. And she got up and did a beautiful job. But as a church, we just prayed for, for Jesse and Emma, this new baby. And you just start praying in the Spirit. You know, I don't have words. I don't know how to pray. There's a battle going on for that kid's life. And the church just erupted in prayer. So yeah, that's how it seems to work. Thirdly, it's not to be over you. Oh, the, the baby survived. The baby is doing well. And, and they would say that that was a miracle from God. That the nurses and the doctors would say that they did not expect that child to survive. So, you know, don't you tell me that prayer is not powerful and effective. Thirdly, not to be overused, particularly in corporate gatherings. We know this, right, because of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, where there's all kinds of warnings against excessive use of tongues in public meetings, mainly for the sake of unbelievers not thinking we've all got living la vida loco. You know, if, if they walk in and we're just like, hey, shababone, this is going off. And they're just going to walk in and go, these people are out of their minds. So we don't want to be obsessed, maybe with our own spiritual importance, if this is a gift that God has given you. Of course, we are told early in Ephesians that a result of being filled with the Spirit is singing spiritual songs. You know, one of the most beautiful corporate things you can do is sing in tongues together. So it's not something that we avoid completely in church meetings. And indeed, in our meetings, someone may pray in tongues, and then that may be interpreted as a way of encouraging the believers. So not too much, not too little, right? It's like most things in life. Don't get obsessed with it, but pursue it. Desire it. All right, final thing today. I just say it can really help. It can really help. And I guess I, I hope that's what I want to focus on. If we take it to be real and true that there is a spiritual battle going on, do not we need to be clothed in the armour of God? You know, we need to go into battle with the resources that God has given to us. 
Right? Verse 17 stuff. The Spirit is the sword of God. Right? The Spirit helps us declare the Word of God over situations. We declare Jesus, who is the Word of God, over every situation, over every circumstance. You know, we declare that light has triumphed over darkness. We declare our spiritual authority that has been given to us in Christ. Verse 17, the Spirit is the Word of God, you know, because the truth is present in His presence. So praying in the Spirit, declaring the truth of God, so powerful. You know, Jackie Pullinger, the great missionary to uh, Hong Kong's walled city, she'd say whenever they felt cold in their faith or disconnected from God, she would gather her team, they would just go out onto the streets, find heroin addicts, and ask if they could lay hands on them and just pray in the Spirit, pray in tongues over them. And then whoosh! All of a sudden, faith would come alive again. There's no great mystery if we're struggling in our faith. When was the last time you read the Word of God or declared the Word of God or shared the Word of God or prayed for someone who was struggling? Get on the front foot. I think it helps because while our prayers are great and important and expected in our Christian lives, praying in the Spirit is taking the battle to the enemy with the resources of God. So stand firm, manly life. Stand firm against the enemy's plans and evil spiritual forces at work in the world and around you today. Do not get taken out. Don't get taken out. You are loved by God and he gives you the armor of God to stand firm. Stand firm, manly life. Don't let your marriage get taken out. Don't let pornography take you out. Don't let bitterness or division or loose words take you out. Stand firm. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Maybe just one final thing. How do we start praying in the Spirit? How, how does this begin? How, how, do we, how do we start to pray in tongues? I, I have another deeply theological answer. <laughs> I don't know. But here's what I've seen. We often start praying in the Spirit in deeply felt spiritual crises or battles. So what do you do with that? You know, if your life maybe is so comfortable or so devoid of spiritual realities, maybe you need to get into the battle. Now, you don't ask for attack to come against you, but the only way you can get the fruit of the life of the kingdom is to get into the battle. So sometimes it's when we feel that spiritual crisis or, 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 or war going on that it kicks in. I'd say it often happens in an atmosphere of faith and worship. You know, there is something ecstatic often about praying in tongues. It's, it's a wonderful sensation. So get yourselves into atmospheres of worship and praise and the Spirit moving. You know, it can be a contagious thing. Uh, it's often imparted from a spiritual mentor or leader who has lived the battle and imparts it to the next generation. You know, I remember seeing Jackie Pullinger speak at a conference in Sydney and she said basically, anyone who wants a gift of tongues tonight, come to the front and you will receive the gift of tongues. 
And then she'd just one by one go along and pray for people to receive the gift that she possessed. She imparted it to people. And finally, I would say, maybe sometimes you just got to start making some noise. Just start praying. Abba, Father, Papa. Father, Shekha, Papa. Hey, Father, Heavenly Father. Abba, God, we call out to you. We cry to you. Papa, Father, Abba. Shekha, Papa. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.